We're the kids. Remember? Sounds bad? There you go. So, yeah, we're the kids. Amen? So are y'all kids or not? I'm not going to be the only one that's a kid here. <laughs> i got to get people to join me in my being a kid. So uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the testimonies. And thank you for just your grace to pray for injustices in the world, Lord. And Father, I pray this morning that we would um, just be drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name. So, uh, put Matthew 6 up there. I wanted just to review this morning, perhaps review, of uh, Matthew 6, 9, and 10. And first of all, you know, there's a scripture. It's called Hannah's Song. Um, it says something like this. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies because I have rejoiced in your salvation. And I believe the Lord really wants to encourage us this morning. He wants to enlarge us. And, and you know, what she said was because she rejoiced in, in God's salvation, He brought an enlargement into her life. And I feel God really does want to enlarge us on the inside. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get big and fat, you know. But you're going to grow spiritually. God wants to give you a greater capacity to really have more of His activity in your life and within you. That the Holy Spirit would be released more up into your mind and your emotions and your will and, and your outward actions. And I believe that really is the Lord. And so the, the next thing I want to tell you this morning, and this is really what I want to talk about, is companionship. Is God is looking for companions. And um, so let's just read this, Matthew 6, 9. And I want to tell you one of the ways to have companionship with God. I want to just tell you some things. Uh, we're just going to review this. This is what we've been talking about for, for, for a few weeks. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So... Um, First, I want to make a statement. I said this a while back, and this is, is prayer is not a means by which we get something for ourselves, but rather a means of helping God get something for Himself. Y'all got that? Let me say that one more time, because this is, can be a tremendous revelation in your life about praying. Prayer is not a means by which we get something for ourselves, but rather a means of helping God get something for Himself. And that will set you free in praying. Um, it's, and, and really what God is wanting to show us, that God allows us to join Him in what He's doing. He allows us to join Him in His work. And everything that God wants for Himself is really a blessing for us. It really is. And, um, but I believe one of the things, I wanted to just share this, this story that really blessed me, is there was a man named Walter Butler. Does anybody here know who Walter Butler was? He's passed away. One person knows who Walter Butler. I knew Donovan know. <laughs> but Walter Butler was a man, he was a Bible teacher. He wasn't, I don't think he ever was a pastor. He may have been a pastor, but he really was a Bible teacher. But Walter Butler had this experience with the Lord. And... Basically, uh, one day in, at the Bible school, he felt the Lord speak to him to, that God wanted to visit him in a special way. And he knew he had to get away, so he went to a, a motel room and checked into the motel room to wait on the Lord. And he waited there a few days, a couple of days, before the Lord ever decided to show up. And the Lord came into his room. He saw the Lord come into the room. He saw the, the train of his temple. He said it was like an Isaiah 6 experience where the train of his temple came in and the presence of God enveloped the whole, every inch of the room. And the Lord spent four hours with him talking to him about a verse in the Bible called, uh, it's John 17, 3, it's eternal life is to know you and Jesus Christ whom you've sent into the world. And the Lord talked to him about having a personal relationship and went through the scriptures and the Lord would explain scriptures to Walter uh, about what it meant to really know the Lord and really have a personal relation, a personal knowledge of God. 
And so this went on for four hours. And then the Lord left. And when the Lord left, He said He had a sense that something else was going to happen. And something else that happened, Satan came into the room. And Satan came in much like the Lord. His train filled the room. And Satan, the first thing he said to Walter was, the Lord didn't visit you. And Walter said, yes, he did. And he went on and he had a conversation, so to speak, what he called, quote, a conversation with Satan. And Satan told him things like, the Bible's not the truth. Why don't you just go ahead and deny the Bible right now? And, of course, he would argue back with Satan. It is the truth. Uh, Satan told Walter, you're losing your mind. Satan actually caused Walter to see the room spinning around in circles in front of him and was telling him, you're losing, look, you're losing your mind. What is it going to feel like to live in an insane asylum? Uh, and, of course, he refuted everything that Satan brought against him and, and against the truth. And then the enemy left, left the room. But he felt in his heart it wasn't over. And a little while later, the enemy came back into the room. But this time he came not only where he could sense his presence, but there was this power that came. And the whole process was repeated, the same things. The Lord didn't visit you. But this time when he said there was a power coming against him, and he could feel this power, and he began to feel worn down as the conversation proceeded. Uh, and he actually felt like he was losing his mind. And because the enemy was, was you know, they, the, the Lord was letting his power be released. The Lord actually told him, I, I forgot to tell you, the Lord actually told Walter after he had visited him that he was going to be tested on this, on what the Lord had said to him. And Walter, being a school uh, a teacher in school, knew, you know, I knew, you know, we give exams to students, there's an exam coming. And so he, as he, this second round with the enemy went on and on, Walter began to wear down. He began to feel like his resistance was, was being, that he couldn't resist the enemy. And, and finally he went up laying on the bed and uh, with his mouth he was saying the truth, but in his heart he felt like he was caving in. And, but he felt something right as he, at the moment where he felt like he was going to completely give up. As he felt what well, he said, he felt like a, a, he felt this knot in his stomach about the size of a, a grapefruit. And he heard this song. And the song, I guess, is an old song called Isn't Jesus Wonderful? And he, he felt that song rising up in him, and he began to sing this song, Isn't Jesus Wonderful? And as he did, he began to forget about Satan and forget that Satan was there. And that power that he felt against him, he began to feel something in him refreshing him and renewing him and giving him power. And he sang that song, and it was like the presence of the Lord came and the enemy fled from the room. And that was the end of the, of the visitation. But after that, his ministry, which was basically he was a, a teacher of the Word, is he sort of was launched into a not just teaching in a Bible school, not that that's a small thing, but he wound up traveling all over the world, you know, teaching. But his, his ministry was marked by this. When he would teach in his room, in his classroom, the presence of the Lord would come into the room in a manifest way. And the students would be touched by God because they would feel God. They would sense His presence, tangible presence. And uh, one man named Wade Taylor, which I know some of you have heard of Wade, Wade actually said in his classroom and had these experiences where he felt the Lord come. And Wade said... The two things he got out of Walter Butler's ministry was, one, the value of spending quality time waiting on the Lord, the value of spending quality time of waiting on the Lord, and number two, the exceeding greatness of God's manifest presence and the power of His presence in our life. Uh, but one thing Walter said, because he be Walter became very close with the Lord as he traveled all over the, the world, he, he was like a, the Lord was like a companion to him, a friend to him. And the Lord would even say stuff to Walter like, Walter, I'm going to meet you in France. And he says he remembers one time landing in France. And this was back before they had jetways, so you had to, you know, get off the plane and walk out in the tarmac. And he said it was just pouring down raining. And, and the Lord had said, I'm going to meet you in France. And he says as he stepped off the plane onto the tarmac, the presence of the Lord just came to him. It's like the Lord was waiting on him there as he came. And this, he just had many stories. But one thing he shared that 
he said it was a, just a heart-wrenching, heartbreaking thing to him is the Lord confided in him one time and told him of the Lord's loneliness and how the Lord was a lonely God, how He was lonely and He was looking for people who would have companionship with Him. And when he, as he was saying that, I just felt really just conviction come on me about how we, how I, not we, but I, how, how sometimes we, maybe we use God. As we want God to bless us, but we forget that God is wanting something from us. He, he, and God does want to bless us. God wants to enrich our lives because only He can. But I, like a, I can say to probably any parent in here who has adult children, one thing that all parents long for as when their children become adults is for their children to want to be with, to come and be, have a relationship, a friendship with the parent. I mean, I, I crave that with my kids. With my, 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 all my kids are grown now, and I crave I have a desire that they would want to come and be with me and not just, you know, I'm the daddy and, and you know, I've provided this for you. Provide. I, want, I want a relationship with them. I want a friendship with them. I want to spend time with them. And I believe the Lord really wants that. And, to, and, and I'll be honest with you, that's beyond me, I really feel, because I felt so convicted in my own heart about, uh, you know, about the Lord and about how, how have I used you, Lord? Have I made you like some divine Santa Claus in my life where... I want you to do all these things for me and I want you to use me. But really, you're looking for something. You're looking for a companionship, a friendship, a relationship with me. I would really love to have that with the Lord, personally speaking. I would love to have a ministry where the Lord's presence would come on people because I believe that's what it was. I was reading a manuscript of a, of a message where he talked about this. And, and I believe, uh, you know... Because of his visitation with the Lord, there was an anointing given to Walter to release that manifest presence to people which would cause people to want God, to love God. You know, and I want to encourage you this morning, God wants us all to, to have these experiences with Him because He, it's those experiences with God, it's not doctrinal purity or theology, which, you know, all that stuff's so important. But who wants that stuff if you don't have God Himself? If you don't have this, what He said, John 73, eternal life is to have a personal knowledge of this person. And that's the, really the thing that uh, this prayer begins with is, is a revelation of Him as your Father, our Father. That's what it says. And, and I believe that's fundamental to us as Christians. And I believe this prayer is a pretty useless prayer in, lots, in, in, in the truest eternal sense without a revelation of God as your personal Father. Your personal Father. Not that you know He is because the Bible says He is, but you, haven't, you at some point in your life, God has revealed to your heart somehow that He is your Heavenly Father. He is your Father. And you have a father-child relationship with Him. And you know that as a reality in your life. And I believe if, if you don't really know that as a reality in your life, you've got to get that with God. You've got to ask God for that and cry out for that until God releases that for you. Because that's really the, the key to this prayer. It's the key to, to Christianity, really, is that we are a, we're children of God. He's our Father. And the next thing uh, it says in this prayer, our Father in heaven is is the nature of God. Heaven is the nature of God. And God wants us to see this heavenly nature that He has. And because we are His children, we have this heavenly nature in us, living in us. We have the DNA of heaven inside of each one of us. If you are born again today, you have heaven in you. You have heaven in you. What a statement. What is that? Is either that's truth or that's heresy? I have heaven inside of me. I'm 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 heavenly in my nature. You know, one time Becky uh, and Grace went to Mickey and Mooch for supper, and I said, "Y'all go on in and and get a seat, and I'll be right in." Uh, and they went in, and I went to the girl. And she said, "Oh, uh, did, are you with the two sisters, <laughs> Becky and Grace sisters? Because they look like each other." 
Grace looks like Becky because Be- Grace has Becky's DNA. It was given to her. She doesn't look like Becky because she tries to, because she is. And you see, God wants us to know that we can look like Him because He's our Father. His Son lives in us by the Holy Spirit. His image is born inside of us. And it's so important that we get that. That's how you you live. I wanted to read this great verse, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Uh, If you put that up there, Brian. Um, This is one of Paul's great statements. one of my favorite verses in the Bible, actually. Uh, and here's the reason I was saying, why is this one of my favorite? Well, I love the, I love the uh, revelation, but honestly, the way it became a favorite verse in my Bible is many years ago, we started doing a home group, you know, way back, back in the 80s, and we were sort of a pitiful lot, honestly. Still are a pretty pitiful lot, actually. But Becky put some music to this. And it meant, it just profoundly touched me back then for some reason. And I had no revelation about the heavenly realm then. But for some reason, it touched me way back then, and it stuck with me since that time. And I've often thought, people say, you know, you've heard people talk about life verses. I've, I've never really had no life verse, you know. I've never really had anything that I could claim. That would be the closest thing that I could really claim. And the only reason, I just somehow, God gave me an affection for that. And I'm just now, that's why I'm not calling a life verse, because I'm just now starting to see the reality of that, these verses And this is what Paul says, If then you were raised with Christ, you know, if you're a Christian today, you've been raised with Christ. That's the truth. That's the Word of God. Then he says, this is what you're supposed to do with your life. Seek those things which are above. And this is where above is, where Christ is. That's what you're supposed to seek with your life. Where Christ is, the heavenly realm. That's why, you know, we're just emphasizing the heavenly sitting at the right hand of God. That's where Jesus Christ is, of course, and that's where we are. Because it says we were raised with Christ. And we've been made to sit down with Christ in the heavenly places. That's how he says it in Ephesians. Then he says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. That's what the Bible teaches us to do. I would like to ask us this question this morning, really, in reality. How many of us really practice that and live that? That's good. That's how you have companionship with God right there. It's one of the great secrets in the Bible is to have this communion, this fellowship with God, to be able to live a supernatural life, to have this fellowship and companionship with the Lord. And then it says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. In fact, not only is the way you have companionship and fellowship with God, there, that's where your life is. And if you don't go there, if you don't live from there, you don't have life. You don't have a life, period. You've got a crummy life. You've got a bad life. You've got a boring Christian life. You've got a religious Christian life. You've got a life that's not normal and it's totally abnormal and was never meant to be that way. And that's why we have a church that's abnormal. That's why the body of Christ is abnormal. It's, not, it's, it's sort of like a freak of nature in, in one sense. It's not what it's supposed to be. It's religious. It's foolish. It denies God. It denies what the Bible says. It doesn't, the people of God don't believe the Bible. We don't believe simple things that the Bible says. And the reason is, is because we haven't, we, we haven't seen that our life is there and we haven't set our minds towards that and we haven't made a decision in our hearts to believe the very basic things that the Bible teaches. And therefore, we're all messed up and we're not really being conforming to the image of Christ. So that's the, uh, that's the heavenly part. Um, so then, the, then it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, which is the worship part. And, you know, uh, God necessarily ask us to worship Him. He wants worship. He's desiring worship. He's looking for worship. But really the truth is God doesn't need your worship. He could care. You know, God doesn't need anything from us in in the truest sense. I mean, why would God want Byron Wicker, a flick of a flea on the ground to worship Him? It's like, would I care if a tick out there on the dog would worship me? I would not really care. But this is the truth. Because it blesses us. It helps us. He's asked us to do something. And the very thing He's required of us to be worshipers blesses and helps us. That's why He really wants us to worship Him. Because in the ultimate end, it's the thing that helps us. It's the thing that that really will change our life. And it really is the primary way God has created for us to relate to Him. The number one way is through worship. Because he wouldn't have had it right there. Our Father in heaven, we worship you. That's the way we, we that's the way God has designed us to relate to him heavenly. 
uh, and I love this song by Jimmy Swagger. Y'all, oh, Jimmy Swagger, what a sinner. <laughs> oh, Power and Wicker, what a sinner. I, uh, listen, the only difference between you and Jimmy Swagger, he got caught. It's the truth. He got caught. You didn't. Aren't you glad God covered your sins? Hid you from getting caught. How many have you thought worse of things than Jimmy Swagger ever probably did? But he wrote a song that's called uh, Let's Just Lift Our Hearts Towards Heaven and Praise the Lord. Isn't that an awesome song? That's what worship is. It's lifting ourselves up into the heavenly realm and worshiping and praising Him. And then uh, Psalm 22, verse 3 says, You are holy and throned in the praises of Israel. That's where God is. He occupies praise. He occupies worship. And that leads to the next part of the prayer. We worship Him, and by our worship of God, remember, He don't need it. By our worship, it releases His kingdom, the resources of His kingdom into the world. You hear that? Worship, that He occupies worship. He Himself is the kingdom. He begins to release. Now, as a Christian, if you're born again, you're in the kingdom. But as Christians, we have not accessed hardly anything in the kingdom. I mean, the best of us have occupied a little bit. When you go to heaven and when you die, you'll occupy it all. But what about between now and then? And God wants to release the resources of heaven into our personal lives into our personal lives, into the lives of our family, into the lives of the people at work, into the lives of anything that we're around. That's really what He wants to do. And we learned this as a great prayer. Somebody asked me last night, was telling me about their, their daughter who at one time was fervent for God and she you know, went to ministry school, graduated, went to college, got a great job, but now all her Christian friends have moved to the four corners of the earth, she's left working in a, a job with nothing but unsaved people, and so she hangs around unsaved people, not to lead them to the Lord, but for fellowship, and her love has just disappeared for God. And he was saying, how can you pray? How, what should I do? I said, all I know to do, pray that the resources of heaven would be released to that girl. Pray that would happen. Whatever that is for her, whatever she needs, whatever she's lacking, we can't necessarily define it, but God will will do something. And we have seen that prayer answered. This week, this week, Becky and I were praying for family members in a situation. And we just, our prayer was this, Lord, release the resources of heaven to this child. And as we were praying, the phone rang. We didn't even answer because we were praying. We didn't want to be disturbed. But it was a message. It was some resources. Answering the prayer. God wants to tell people to do that. Pray that. Pray that prayer. Lord, release the resources. He, he may give you wisdom on specifics. You can pray the specifics. But that's really what God wants to do, is release the resources of heaven. And then He says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. And I talked to you last week about the conflict of wills, the conflict of Garden of Gethsemane, where Christ had to make a choice between His will and the Father's will. And once He made that choice, to choose what the Father chose for Him, immediately the Bible says there was an angel there. And it, that's the doorway into this supernatural. So that's another great secret of companionship is surrendering your will to God. And when you surrender your will to God, the door to heaven is open to you. It really is open to you. That's the doorway. You walk into But it does take the surrender. And there is, as, as, as I said last week, Gethsemane, is, uh, you know, the crushing of the olive. And it's difficult to be crushed, but there takes a crushing of your will to choose His will. It's a crushing experience many times for people, and it's not a one-time experience, I assure you. <laughs> I wish it was. John one fifty one. let me read this to you. It says, this is what Jesus said, And He said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, all right, now, hereafter, you shall see heaven open. This is what Jesus said. Okay? Jesus Christ said, you're going to see heaven open. Anybody want to argue with Jesus this morning? Say, no, I ain't seen heaven open. You know what? This is what I want to talk to you. I'm shifting gears. I want to talk to you about seeing the supernatural. Okay? I, because Jesus promised I could see the supernatural. He promised me I could live in the supernatural realm. 
Okay, and this is what we need to find out this morning is how we do this. And you see, because that's really all tied up with the companionship thing. If you're a friend to God, if you've got companionship with God, you are living supernatural. That's where it's at. It's not denying God for miracles and ministry and all that just to get God to do something. That's the opposite. It's saying, God, I'm with you, and God does those things, and that's what He does. That's His activity. That's His work. And He wants people to share His work with and share the intimate feelings of His heart. Okay? And so He said, you're going to see heaven open, and you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You're going to see angels climbing up and, and coming down the ladder. And all good Israelites knew what Jesus was talking about then. He was talking about Jacob's dream. All right, let's look at Jacob's dream just real quickly. Jacob's dream, you know, he, uh, Jacob, uh, Genesis 28:11. Jacob came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. That's important, the sun. Everybody say the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. So he took a nap. He went to bed because the sun had went down. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Just what Jesus said. He was saying to, to, to us, to the people he were talking directly to at that moment, I'm Jacob's ladder. That's what he said. I'm the connection between heaven and earth. And heaven is open, and there's going to be angels coming in and out of this on me. Denied the visits of angels. You've denied one of the very things that Jesus wants us to know is true, that there's a supernatural world. One of the reasons for angels, which certain human beings in this room can tell you, to remind us that there is a supernatural world. That's one of the reasons God created them, to remind us there's this world beyond this world. And we need reminding because we're, we're, we're just old humans. And that's where he said, he said it back there. Then Jacob, there was some, you know, stuffy, the Lord spoke specifically to him in this dream. Uh, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And that's what's wrong with Christianity. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? That's what's wrong with us today. The Lord is in this place, and we're missing God. And God is saying, I'm a lowly God. I want companionship. I want somebody that I can share my heart with, that I can tell them what I want to do, and do it with me, and be with me. But we haven't seen Him like that. We haven't, because we, we're so blinded and our minds have, have caved in on us and rule us. And so we don't, so we have a lonely God. That broke my heart when, I, when that guy said that. God's lonely. You know. So, I don't know. I don't know if it makes you feel not so hot about, about your Christian life. It does me. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There's none other than, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And you know, um, we shared this at CSM that the Lord, you know, this is the first mention of the house of God in the Bible. And you know, the Lord, the law of first mention for Bible interpretation means basically that once when something's mentioned in the Bible, that's sort of the, the standard you can judge that thing by unless something else in the Bible supersedes it, right? So if you want to know about worship, I think Genesis 12, isn't that where they talk about worship the first time in the Bible? You can find out about worship and all kinds of things just by finding the first time it's mentioned in the Bible and if it doesn't mention it anywhere else. But see, Jesus never even superseded it. He just confirmed it, affirmed it. This is where the house of God's supposed to be. And then, of course... You know, Jesus being the way, He was saying, this is the way you're supposed to live because I've sent the Spirit to live inside of you. Right? Each one of us are a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Right? We, that's what we are. Like I said, we have God living in us. We have heaven living in us. So we're supposed to be like Jesus was when He was on this earth. Like in the sense of we're supposed to, to be that ladder, that connection between heaven and hell for people and for the situations that are that we, we come into in our lives. We're supposed to bring heaven into those situations. As simple as that. And, and that's having companionship with God. That's being connected with what God is doing. But we, many of us have a problem with that because we're fearful. I think one person in the class said they were scared they were going to let down people if they really made a commitment to be a house of God. How foolish of a thought 
to think that you're going to let people, you're letting people down by not doing it. Some people say, well, I'm just scared because I don't, you know, I can, how could God ever use me? How foolish we are to think that. We're not believing the Bible. God wants us to break away from the fears and the, and the we want to desensationalize the miraculous and, and supernatural. We need to get, we don't need to devalue it, but we need to desensationalize it. Because God meant it to be the norm, our norm, is to live spiritually, not just to live naturally. But we have made it some big, huge thing that only certain people, after they fasted for 14 months and, you know, did all this stuff and went to school or whatever your theology of Ben is this morning, we've made it only for the special people. But God said, I'm looking for a people. I want to pour my Spirit out on everybody, all my sons, all my daughters. And we've not believed that. We don't believe it or we would be getting in on this action. Right? So, um, 1 Corinthians 2.14, this is the, the big problem. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. Okay? Of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Right? They're foolishness. They're craziness. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. See, that's what our problem is, is we're using our natural mind to try to tap into the spirit world. The natural mind cannot tap into the spiritual world. In fact, the natural mind will think everything spiritual is just foolishness. Some of you think this stuff's foolishness and refuse to believe it. And you're wrong. I hate to say it. I don't hate to say it. It's the truth. You're very wrong. So, um, I want to give you a couple of testimonies this morning about how the supernatural is a real thing and can be real in your life. And remember last... Are y'all with me? Remember last week when I gave you that, I had that dream about the genie. And the dream, I just saw somebody in our church that had Aladdin's lamp and they thought it was harmless and then this genie puffed out of it at the worst of times and had to deal with this genie. And, you know, so, you know, I said that and it was just a dream, but I felt like it was the Lord. And there were four people who came to me and we found out that genie comes from the Arabic word demon, gene. You know, so it's a demon. So we had four people, and one person had this tremendous testimony how the Lord broke something out of their life. There was a, you know, a spirit like that. There was three other people. Another one had not as exuberant of a testimony, but nevertheless, a real testimony. There's two more I prayed for. I didn't really get a chance to have a talk with them to see what the Lord did. But here's what happened. The next morning, I get up, and Becky had prepared the coffee, which she don't always do. I normally prepare the coffee, but she happened to get up two minutes earlier than me, which is unusual. But... <laughs> She had my coffee cup sitting out, and, you know, she, I walked down there to get my cup and put my coffee in. She said, look at your cup. So I was looking at the cup. What are you talking about, look at the cup? I thought maybe it was a bug or it had cracked or something had gone wrong with the cup. She said, no, look at the cup. We have these nice, long, tall mugs. They're real skinny, which means there's less surface area, which means the coffee stays hotter because, you know, the temperature temperature different. When you're an engineer thing, you think about things like that. I want my coffee to stay hot a long time, so I want me a real skinny cup, tall. It'll stay hotter longer. Anyway, I love that cup. I've been drinking out of that cup for a couple of years. She walks in there, look at the picture on it, you dumb person. <laughs> she didn't say that. It was a picture of a genie on that cup. For two years, I have drank coffee out of a cup that had a demon's picture on it. Now, I knew the Lord was speaking to me. Okay, number one, this is what I knew. I knew the Lord was saying, that dream you had, that was very real. I was trying to speak to people. And number two, in that dream, people thought they had some innocent stuff. People don't realize they have some stuff that's bad in their life, and, it, and they don't even see it. They, they're not seeing it in the supernatural. Their eyes are blinded. For two years, I've looked at that picture before, but somehow I never registered what it was. In fact, I used to, because there's some other cups that she has that have girl stuff on them. And I always look at the picture and make sure I didn't want to drink no coffee cup with some girly-looking thing. And I, that was one of my thoughts. Is her cups are the girl thing and mine are the guy things. If they got guys on them, I'm good. I thought it was just some guy puffed up, you know, floating around in the smoke. But that was, that was the Lord. You see, the Lord wants us to see things like that. Okay, that seems minor, but it's really not minor. It's real. It's, that's how the supernatural works. Here's another great testimony. Um, this is awesome. I love this. We had the chapel service over at MCA every Wednesday. So we had invited some kids, Marlon did, because they were very lovable kids, to come over and speak. 
Okay, two, two young people who were students at Morningstar School that I had met down at the SOS, and they happened to be mixed race kids. And I told Marlon that was uh, that could be Sonny in 20 years, Marlon. And of course, Marlon could connect with that. So these boys come. There's two of them. One of them's named David, and the other one's named Daniel. So they're there, and I'm thinking, uh, this, this is going to be great. You know, it's good to have outside people come and speak to the kids, and they're young. They're like 20-year-old kids, and um, Andy does the worship. But before he starts, I go around talking to the kids. There was, a, there was a, an adult, one of the students' dads there. Uh, I introduced myself to him. He said, yeah, his name. I'm the pastor of the uh, Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church in Huntersville. I'm thinking, great. The Presbyterians are going to get some prophetic... See some prophetic. I'm thinking, I, you know, I hope this guy. I was a little bit concerned about him. He might be calling Betsy tomorrow, withdrawing his kids from the school. So they, and he does the worship, and it's, the Lord seemed to be there. You know, for these kids, it can be difficult because they're all over the road spiritually. It's like a mission field, really. And our goal has been to try to introduce them. This is how we know God. This is how we relate to God. We ain't saying the way you know God's bad. This is just who we are, and we don't have anything else to say to you anyway. This is the best we can do because this is all we are. This doesn't mean that Presbyterianism is bad. We just ain't Presbyterians. So, we, you know, the two boys get up there and the, and the guy starts talking about, well, we're students and we did, we're going to give prophetic words. And this is, you know, gave a couple of scriptures. And one of the boys says, the first thing he says, the man in the striped shirt. It was the Presbyterian pastor. I'm thinking, oh, gosh, why did you have to do that? Sir, the Lord wants you to know you have a high calling on your life. You really do have a high calling on your life. Do you understand that, sir? Yeah, I understand that. Okay? And I just thought, wow, isn't that the Lord? Here's the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church getting... A, and he does have a high calling in his life, no question. God's a very godly man. You know, and so they gave some words. Actually gave the Presbyterian pastor's son a word. You know, I see you as a Geiger counter. Do you know what a Geiger counter is? No. <laughs> you know, you're going to know what's going on spiritually around you. You're going to know. Uh, so they're, you know, ministering, and and uh, then there's this young lady uh, named Jackie who does love the Lord. She's an eighth grader. Uh, she really does. She's a real exuberant Christian most of the time. But she was. They said, does any of the students or teachers have any anything, any words they'd like to share? So I said, Jackie, you got anything? She said, No, I don't. I said, Have you thought? The reason you don't have anything is because you haven't asked the Lord to give you something. She says, well, maybe that's the reason. So I could tell she prayed. But this is literally the truth. She's prayed and she went into this squirm mode. Right after she prayed, she started shoveling her feet, rubbing her legs, put her head down. She was just going in conniptions. You know, I was sitting on one side of her. Marlon was sitting on the other side. So the guy, a couple minutes later, he asked again. Anybody got any words? I said, when Marlon started pointing at her, I started pointing at her. She didn't really want to get up, but then the students sort of cheered her on. So she gets up there, and she starts this testimony, and it's sort of a miserable testimony. i just doubting God testimony. Is God real? Is He really real? And, you know, I teach a first-grade Sunday school class at church, and I'm just questioning God, and, you know, why am I here? And then all of a sudden it's like she went from that, she pointed her finger, and when she did it, it was like the Lord just shot, well, I don't know, it hit me. Yeah, it, it's like, woo, the Lord's prayer. And she said, but God is real. And she started preaching to these kids and telling them, and you're here, if you've asked a question, you're here in this school because you're going to do great things in your life. She was preaching and the power of God was all over her. It was powerful. It was a powerful thing. And so they pray for it. You know, after she gets through that, the guy's put her hand on and she falls out on the floor, hits her head on the chair going down. It was incredible. And Drew Crowley was sitting there. You know how Drew is. Sort of first time since Mr. Fall Day. <laughs> you know, she's down there. I wish she would have... She, she got up, you know, it was all discombobulated and went to the bathroom. Later, Marlon was saying, You open the door! You open the door! <laughs> they kept, you know, ministering to the kids. Betsy came in. She said, I think there's three boys in this room that have a call of full-time ministry. I said, Go up there and say it, Betsy. So she gets up there and says that later two boys and three girls came to her and said, I believe God has a call to full-time ministry on my life. Uh, but this is, you know, so you got all these things happening in the room spiritually. It's my vision of church service. It's when God's just moving everywhere, doing all kinds of stuff. Jenny Stein gets up there. 
And she says, uh, well, you know, Andy's been leading the worship music. I just feel like the Lord is telling me we need to take up an offering for Andy. Uh, <laughs> she had a McDonald's bag in her hand. Okay, now listen to this. She didn't know that Andy came to me Monday and said, Byron, I have just gave Amy, Amy my last $8 to my name to go buy groceries for supper tonight to feed the five kids and me and her. I'm thinking, hey, I'm in trouble, Andy. <laughs> I don't know what to do, you know. Uh, well, i got to pray and ask the Lord about this. I'm, I'm starting to worry about Andy. I'm concerned. I mean, you got these kids, and kids need to eat, you know. starts to make you sweat. And so you know, I told him, go there and get some of that food at the church, and, you know, we'll try to figure out what to do for you. Get you some money. We're going we're gonna to do something to help Andy. We're not just going to let him starve. And, well, she gets out and takes this offering up. When, when she's taking it, I remember this story that Catherine Coleman told when she received a seven-cent offering. Seven cents. I'm thinking, there's nothing but kids in here. If he gets $18 or $8, he, he's got to rejoice in the Lord. He can't, you know, so I was going to go tell him, you know, that's what I've got to get to Andy and tell him, whatever you get, you've got to be thankful, son. Don't you be complaining about this $8 you're going to get. I know about kids offering. They don't give them no money. So Jenny gets the offering, and she comes back. I said, how much you get, Jenny? And she had this weird look on her, and she said, $834. I'm serious. I, I thought she said, eight. I said, you no, know, you mean $8.34, right? No. No, I said, tell me one more time. $834. I said, you got to tell me this one more time. I said, I ain't believing this. I don't believe it. I've taken up offerings for years. I know what kind of money you get off these people. They ain't giving no money. They don't have no money. I mean, a lot of them gave, but they're pulling out dollars and quarters and throwing in there. It was $834. That was a miracle. That was supernatural. And it, because here's a person, companionship. God is speaking to her. Being an open, that's an open heaven. You see what I'm saying? Jenny, take an offer for Andy. Oh, okay. It was, he was sharing his heart. That's, that's all it is. God says, I want you to do this. Oh, okay, I'll do it. Hey, I want you to share this dream I gave last night. Oh, okay. Four people get it. You see what I'm saying? The kids pray. Pray for a Presbyterian pastor. He, something happens for him. It's just, you see, God is moving supernaturally. Lord, one of our children are in really trouble. We need the resources of heaven released to them. The phone rings. The resources of heaven are right there. You see what I'm saying to you? That's how God meant for us to live the Christian life. And that's how, one of the ways you can have companionship with God is by allowing God to do it. And I'm just telling you these stories because I've realized in my life God is at work and we're missing it. God's in this place and we didn't know it. He was wanting to do stuff and we weren't paying attention. And He's saying, if you'll just pay attention, I'm at work and if you'll cooperate with me, you can be in on what I'm doing. Are you all with me on that? So... um, let me just read one. I got just a few minutes. I didn't do this. I wanted to read this. This is really great here. Okay? Look, Luke 24, 9 through 11. I want to tell you something. We're no different than the apostles were. Okay? Were. All right? The, remember the women went to the tomb. When Jesus was dead that morning, they went and they was going to rub his body down some more. So they get to the tomb. They don't find Jesus there. They find an angel sitting up on the rock with the tomb with the rock rolled away. Remember that story? I, we don't have time. So they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Hey, we just saw an angel. The tomb was open. The Lord's not there. You know, this is, there's this incredible thing that's happened. Look what they said. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Even tells us who these women were. They were powerful. And listen, and their words seemed to them like idle tales. They did not believe them. Now think about it. I don't know if you thought when I was telling you these stories, oh, that's nothing. That's no big deal. That's the way we are with the supernatural. That's the way we are. That just seems idle. That don't, that don't seem like God to me. Byron, God is more spectacular than that, isn't He? They didn't think it was. That's what's happened to us. Oh, that's just idle talk. That's not real. That's not God. And we don't believe it. They didn't believe it, says it. They didn't believe them. So this morning, you may not believe what I just told you was God. You may not believe when Matthew talked about that little girl having a 
that tumor on her spine shrunk down to where they could barely see it. That, well, that just made, you know, that wasn't really God or, you know. Or you may believe it, but yes, for that little girl that we never heard of, never seen it. It wasn't your prayers that did that. You know. <laughs> okay. Um, let me read one more. Okay. Are y'all good with that? One more. I know we run out of time here. Uh, John 20. Peter, now this is talking about when the women tell, talk, told the story and said they didn't believe him, but Peter jumps up. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and they were going to go to the tomb. So you see, they heard these things. They thought it was idle talk, but they decided in their hearts, we're going to go find out about this. Okay? We're going to go to the tomb. So they both ran. They were running. And can you imagine the other disciple being John, because he was the one who telling this and how he referred to himself, he was slim faster than Peter. Peter was probably an old, stiff fisherman. John was younger. So he's quicker on his feet, and he's running down there. And he got to the tomb first, and he stopped and he looked into the tomb. Okay? He was peering inside, looking around, seeing what was happening. And he saw the linen cloth lying there, and he did not go in. Okay, he didn't go in. He just stood there look, looking in. You know, and that's really a picture of how a lot of people are about this stuff. You know? You know, we run, you know, there's some of us that, okay, why come the other guys didn't go with them? There's nine other apostles and some other people who were followers of the Lord who sat in the house. Can you imagine the discussion that was going on in the house? I'm imagining this discussion. Well, you know, where, where in the Bible does it say about a stone being rolled and about angels appearing? Well, let's, let's exegesis what they just said and see if it's in the Bible. And they, so they had this great theological discussion. Okay? I can just imagine them doing that while Peter and John get up and run, you know, take off running to see what the Lord's doing. Okay? So they get there. John sort of hesitates. He gets there first. But Peter... Cain following him, he's out of breath, huffing and puffing, carrying on, sweating, you know. But he saw, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchiefs that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, well, he saw Peter going there, he thought, I'm going in there too. He came to the, he came to the tomb first, went in also. He saw, and listen, belief. Now think about it. People say seeing. In the, in the, they say, here's something. Gosh, this really contradicts something that's preached. That you, you know, the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Okay? And faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God, right? But here is a, a statement. They saw something and believed. Okay? That's what it says. They saw something. They didn't hear something. They just saw. They saw He wasn't there. They went in there. They went to where it was. And, they, and it, it caused them to believe something. And so what we are like is we're like the rest of those disciples that sat back in the house talking of the theological talk. Instead of, we heard the Lord move. Let's find out if this is true. If it's true, we want in on it. That's the kind of heart God wants. Um, this is what one guy said. It's a simple fact that if you want to experience Jesus Christ and His power, you must get up from where you are and start moving in His direction. You must get up from where you are and start moving in His direction. If you really want to walk the Christian life, and, he will, and that's what those two guys did. They went to this place, this tomb, and the tomb actually became a womb. It burst something out. Something happened to them in that tomb. I think in lots of ways that's a picture of what God wants for us. He wants us to, you know, the tomb, you know, is really for our mind. Okay? So the, birth, so the mind of Christ can be really birthed into our mind. Okay? Like I said, the natural man can't receive the things of God. But the spiritual man, the mind of Christ can. As we allow the mind, our natural mind to be dealt with by the Lord, die to our own thoughts, you know, let all that stuff be put down, and let the mind, the thoughts of Christ come then we're going to have this belief that really rises up in us for the miraculous, to be able to see spiritually. You see what I'm saying to you this morning? Anybody believe that? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was telling them earlier, I, I told them this is, I went a couple of weeks ago, I went over to Bob Jones's house, and, you know, he was telling me, you know, he tells you all this stuff, man, and you're like, he's like 90 miles an hour, and you're like, nine miles an hour. <laughs> That's the way he feels. Like, I can't keep up with this guy. 
but I was leaving and he walked out and he said, Byron, if you're going to see the supernatural, you're going to have to look for it because you're going to miss it if you don't look. That's what he said to me. You have to look for it. It's there. It's there. And we're missing it. And we need to learn. I mean, I think it is we have to learn this stuff. It's not something all of a sudden we get flooded with it. But I do believe it's there. And the reason I, tell you, I told you all these stories, because that is just a, the way God expects us to live always, where He's doing stuff, and we're just having to be around, and He's doing. And we get to see Him do it. And, or maybe He gets it, you know, maybe we're the one that gets done too sometimes. Or maybe God uses us to do it. But to me, it's fun just being around it. That's what I want to be around. That's the way you designed me to live. And that's really what that Lord's Prayer, that, that section of that Lord's Prayer, I believe, really is trying to teach us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom and God's will and God's Father and all that, that is very real and very supernatural. And God wants it released into this planet through us. And that's really simply all it is. It's just the way we're supposed to live. So I'm just done right now. I don't, you know, I would really like to do an altar call, but I can't really figure out how to do one. So what we're going to do is um, Grace is going to play. She's going to play. We've got six minutes. So, Lord, I just want to just say this. Ah, Lord, you know, first of all, well, we don't, I don't want, I want to have that heart where I'm concerned for the Lord's heart. Okay? That thing that Walter Butler said really touched me big time. It really messed me up in a good way. I don't want to use God as some divine Santa Claus. I want God, I want that relationship with, with God the Father. Like I want Philip and Aaron and Grace to want to be, you know, how I want to be with them and share in their life and, you know, I want I want to be like that towards the Lord. So I want to ask you this morning, Lord, uh, Lord, I don't want to make ministry or natural goods and visions and all that stuff more important than you. That's the most important thing you are, Lord, is to know you. And I pray this morning you would help us all to really know you, Lord Jesus, to really know you in a deep way. And ask you to do that, Lord. And Lord, I pray you'd help us all to see the supernatural, the value, what you value, Lord, and to join you in what you're doing, Lord. I pray that, Lord. Sincerely, I ask you to do it.